Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Thanks for tuning in today. I got a badass medical doctor in. He is at the forefront of uh, integrative medicine, health optimization medicine. He is also an expert in integrated hyperbaric medicine. And you might be wondering, what is that? Well, we're going to learn about that today. And it's going to be pretty cool because I've seen some pictures of some of this stuff. And I got this guy personally recommended from a lot of people that I trust and that says a lot of really cool stuff. And he's also starting a lot of cool projects. So this is, of course, Scott Shear. Scott, thank you so much for joining. <laughs> Mass, I don't think I've ever been called a badass doctor, but I'm going to have to use that. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So, Scott, several people have recommended that I talk to you because you're doing some really cool research and actually looking at the forefront of what we can do with health optimization. And you started this mm-hmm. health optimization medicine in san francisco and a lot of different places mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. this integrated hyperbaric medicine what is all of that and how did you get started and that was too many questions sorry no that's that's basically that's it we're done with the podcast you just yeah. described my <laughs> life so <laughs> um well i think the the best way to start probably is kind of give a chronology of, of how i got involved in all of this uh, to give a brief i think overview of what what's been created as a result of ever since I was a kid, really, I always knew that I really enjoyed working with people and connecting uh, from a health perspective. My father is a chiropractor in New York. I grew up in his office. I grew up seeing things outside the box of what's usually seen in conventional medicine. I don't think I even saw a conventional doctor until I went to college, for example. So it was everything was out of the box. I didn't know what a box was. And when I decided to go to medical school after college, it was really because I wanted to understand the conventional perspective. And also, I was really evolving to understand that there wasn't a right answer for everyone. There was going to be no one-size-fits-all model. And so that's why I gravitated to integrative medicine and understanding that I was likely going to create a practice that had both a conventional arm to it along with an alternative arm. And that alternative arm... I wasn't quite sure how that was all going to work out. I knew that I wanted to do something like my dad in some ways, be more holistic, more understanding that the body can really heal itself from the inside out if you give it the right tools, the right techniques, the right practices, both cutting edge and ancient. And I've learned more about all of this as I've gotten older and through my years of study and research and practice. It was in medical school that I learned about hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is this fantastic technology that I know that your other other guest Tim Gray talked a little bit about a little bit about in his own practice and his own his own uh, facilities in London. But I grew up again understanding that there was this idea that there can be this holistic perspective, and hyperbaric oxygen therapy was this fantastic healing tool. It was synergizing with the body's own healing processes and just accelerating them and making them work faster, accelerating them. And it could do it to almost anybody. Yeah. So that was kind of my first foray. What is a hyperbaric oxygen chamber for people that haven't Googled that before? 
Yeah, so these chambers are pretty simple technologies. I mean, the hyperbaric technology itself has been really around and created back in the 1600s by this clergyman who was just sealing a metal enclosure, making sure no, show, making sure no air could get in or no air could get out. And just he attached an organ bellow to it and just blew air in or blew air out and then make, making it either heavier with air or lighter with air. And the heavier the air was called hyperbaric air, and the lighter the air was called hypo, or H-Y-P-O, baric air. And then over the basically 300 years since that time, we've understood what that means. And so what we're doing in a chamber really is just increasing atmospheric pressure. So if you could imagine if you were under a certain amount of seawater, if you were under you know, three, four meters or 33 feet of seawater, for example, I'm in the U.S. I use those metrics. I'm sorry. I'm not, my, my, my equivalencies aren't that good. Um, but if you're under 33 feet of seawater, all that water above you is very heavy. But you are weightless in the water because you're, you know, that's how you feel when you're in water, right? Um, but all that water is extremely heavy. If you carry a bucket of water, it's extremely heavy. And so what you do in a chamber is simulate that heaviness. And then you add that along with an increased inspired amount of oxygen. And so oxygen itself in the air that we breathe at sea level is about 21% of the air. The rest of the air is, is nitrogen for the most part. Depending on where you live, it could be more some carbon monoxide, some other crappy gases if you're in cities, like uh, gas fumes and things like that. Um, but in, in general, it's 21% oxygen, and then the rest is nitrogen. Now, if you go into a hyperbaric chamber, we increase the amount of oxygen to almost 100%. And by doing that, in combination with the pressure, you drive more oxygen into circulation. Now, usually red blood cells carry oxygen in our body. They carry it from our lungs where they get attached, uh, where the oxygen gets attached to red blood cells and then travel. And But in a hyperbaric chamber, we're, we're actually getting, if there's any other sites that can be bound to oxygen, they are bound. But there's not that many in people that have normal lungs, actually, um, because most of us are, are going around doing fine with the amount of oxygen that we're breathing. But in the chamber, what we're doing with that pressure is driving oxygen into the liquid or the plasma of our blood. And when you do that, you can diffuse up to 1,200% or more oxygen into circulation. And that creates this huge stimulus of oxygen that can do amazing things to our physiology, both acutely and in the long term, epigenetically, actually. Sounds pretty cool. So, yeah, yeah, so we, we use it for, for healing is what it comes down to. And it can be an optimization tool in so many ways. And this is how I got involved uh, in my first practice, which is an integrative approach using hyperbaric medicine as my foundation. And then it was this work that I was doing that actually brought me into the biohacking optimization space, actually. Yeah, so the hyperbaric oxygen chamber. So for example, when you go diving and you get diver's disease, I think it's called. Decompression illness, yeah. Yeah, the bends. You also get into uh, this kind of chamber. Is it a similar chamber, or does the technology have anything in common, or how is that? It's the same type of chamber. Yeah, it's the same thing. So these chambers were developed initially for the bends or decompression illness, and what they realized is that not only were they helping people uh, recover from the bends or decompression illness, but they were also healing wounds. They were also uh, reversing things like carbon monoxide poisoning. They were reversing things like burns or patients that had diabetic ulcers or foot ulcers or, or they had radiation injury from cancer treatment and they could get into these chambers and they were doing better. 
um, or they just got a surgery and they were healing faster, or they just had a stroke and their stroke was getting better faster than they would anticipate. So the funny thing about hyperbaric medicine, I think, is that most of the things that we know it helps were done or shown accidentally mm. when they were being used for other reasons. <laughs> so yeah. you had somebody with third degree burns getting into a chamber and all of a sudden, you know, they just happened to have had a stroke within the last three months. And then all of a sudden their stroke symptoms were getting better or all of a sudden their, their concussion was getting better. Um, so just down the line and then all the studies that had been done over the last 20 or 30 years have sort of harnessed those anecdotal studies, uh, stories that were happening back in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. And now we have research to show that hyperbaric therapy can help heal wounds in the brain from a stroke or from a traumatic brain injury. It can help you heal faster from a musculoskeletal injury or even a what we call in, in medical terms a an iatrogenic injury or an injury that happens because we make it happen from a doctor's perspective, perspective like a surgery or a complication from uh, from taking a medicine or whatever it might be, hyperbaric therapy can help heal. So when I figured out, Mass, that this these chambers had such power to heal, I knew that this was going to be the anchor for my integrative practice. And then I realized that people in a lot of different communities were using hyperbaric therapy a little bit here and there, but nobody really knew a lot about it. And I was young, I was hungry, and I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to be this hyperbaric guy, this, you know, quote unquote expert that knew a lot about this and that sort of bring it to the masses, mm. like UMass. <laughs> and, and, and so that was really how I got involved in, in biohacking and optimization. I, I, I got involved because um, a colleague of mine, his name is Dom D'Agostino, who does a lot of research in Florida on the ketogenic diet, was on a podcast with Dave Asprey like episode like 40 or something like that. And when Dom was on that podcast, um, I reached out to Dom afterwards. I'm like, who's this guy, Dave? And, and this, is, this, is, this is an amazing opportunity to talk about what we do. You know, Dom was mostly focused on cancer and, and, and the ketogenic diet and the stuff he was doing for the Navy. And I was more focused at that point before on cancer, the ketogenic diet, and, and hyperbaric therapy. But there was all these opportunities to look at this optimization space and optimal performance space, and I think create a huge opportunity within that to make some real change and, and really move the needle. Makes sense. So how do you use it today, Scott? And so, sorry, go ahead. So, so I was thinking, like, how many sessions do you take and how long does it take to be in one of those chambers? Yeah, good question. So it really depends on what your goals are. So for me, it's, it's, I, I throw it into two buckets, depending on the indication. There's the acute injury, the acute need for hyperbaric therapy in the sense that there's something acutely just happened versus something that's more chronically long-term ongoing, whether it be as something as straightforward as aging, which some people classify as a disease, mm. or is it a chronic infection, chronic inflammation, autoimmune problems. So if there is an acute injury, hyperbaric therapy is a fantastic accelerator for the body's own natural processes of healing. Because when all that oxygen is in play, what that's basically allowing is an immediate decrease in inflammation, an immediate decrease in swelling, immediate actual uh, delivery of oxygen to tissue that may be at risk of dying in the short term. So acute hyperbaric protocols 
typically are somewhere between three to 10 hyperbaric sessions, usually in a row, successively, as best you can, to allow that oxygen stimulus to create or allow it to harness the own body's ability, your own body's ability to, to actually heal. And then sometimes we use supplements, sometimes we use other technologies, other practices to help. Of course, it's not just about getting into chamber, but actually for healing and an acute injury, hyperbaric therapy is one of the best things that you can do to heal. And so, I mean, I, I see in our literature, it's between 30 and 70% faster. Um, and But we're not only just talking about sort of you know, mild injuries. We're talking about acute spinal cord injuries that they're doing research on in Japan. Acute trauma to the brain when you have a traumatic brain injury so severe that you have swelling in your brain. We can decrease your mortality by half, and we can decrease your potential disability by a third or even more if you get into the chamber as fast as possible. So this is significant. And so that's the first bucket. The second bucket is sort of the Just chronic a quick, long-term... Quick questions there. Yeah. So when you say uh, four to 10 times in a row, does that mean like right after each other, like 20 minutes, or is that like once a week, or what do you mean by that? So the, the, se the sessions are usually done successively. So Monday through Friday with the weekends oh. off, typically. Yeah. Um, so and each session is going to be... Yeah. Each session is going to be once a day, sometimes twice a day, mass, depending on yeah. the indication. Um, sometimes for acute injuries, we will do twice a day. But for the most part, it's once a day. And the session length is somewhere between uh, 60 to 90 minutes, depending on the indication. Yeah. And so, so that's one bucket. And the, then sort of the chronic issues, the things that have been happening for longer periods of time, the way hyperbaric therapy works there is by actually creating an epigenetic, an actual stimulus on the DNA itself, itself to create an expression and suppression of various genes that are responsible for healing basically. And it also harnesses the body's own ability to create um, a release of stem cells, a massive release of your own body's stem cells from your own bone marrow, which is where they're produced, along with neurogenic stem cells as well in your brain to help create the scaffolding of tissue and of areas that have been injured or degenerated or inflamed to recreate the scaffolding of that tissue with new stem cells that create new fibroblast, new fiber, uh, new fibroblasts or, or new fibrous or connective tissue, new blood vessels, and and all the other supporting structures of a tissue. So, but that takes longer. Those sessions, we're talking about 20, 30 sessions, sometimes even more than that, depending on the severity of the condition. And so, the, would those sessions also be like? Um, once a day or would that be like once a week over 20 to 30 weeks so they're usually once a day uh, and successive days but okay. then what, we, what we're talking about after this mass is how do you use hyperbaric therapy from an optimization perspective mm. right so there's there's the acute injury and there's the more sort of chronic long term um, but if from an optimization perspective it can be very different it depends on what your goals are so for example I have elite athletes that want endurance training so we can actually revascularize or improve the vascularization around the heart. And that can happen after about 30 to 40 successive sessions. But if they just want to optimize their recovery from a workout, optimize their brain function before a test or before a, a speech or an event, it doesn't take that many to do that. Hmm. So it's really nuanced here, but the idea is you're hyperoxygenated, okay? And the question is, do you need to hyperoxygenate for an acute reason, 
for a short-term reason, or you, you need to hyperoxygenate for a long-term reason. And so the sessions and the protocols will change depending on what your goals are. So there's nuances. And there's also different types of chambers that are available. There are soft bag chambers that are go to mild pressures. And then there's deep uh, chambers that can go to much more deep pressures, as much as you know, 12 ATA, which is you know many, many feet of seawater, depending on the indication. So um, a lot of it, a lot of the the optimization world, as you and I know it, in the biohacking world, is is using the soft chambers uh, because they're easier to use. They're they're more available. You don't have to go to a clinic typically to get treated. But I mean, there there are only sort of a certain amount of indications that are good for those chambers. Um, the the deeper chambers, the hard steel chambers, those have more versatility, uh, but uh, they're they're not always as accessible. So you have to kind of know what you need as well. Sounds like it's more expensive than something I'm going to have in my living room. Or What's that? It sounds like it's cost a bit more than something that I would have in my living room. So you have to go to... Well, the to soft a, chambers, yeah. The mild chambers, you can have those in your living room. I mean, okay. they're not out of control expensive. I mean, oh. it depends on what your definition of expensive of is. But the, um, What's the price range you would think for, for one of those? Yeah, so the, the mild chambers... Uh, that go to about 1.3 atmospheres or 23 feet of seawater, which are mostly only good for neurocognitive-related indications and mo- and potentially also exercise recovery. Those are anywhere from, from the in the U.S. prices somewhere about 10,000 USD to about 20 to 25,000 USD to buy. Okay, so yeah. that and would then be... the hard chambers are much more. Yeah, I can imagine. And so yeah. if you have the new Degenerating diseases. That's where this so would neurocognitive be. stuff. So yeah. I, wanna, I don't want to say neurodegeneratives. If you okay. just want to optimize your brain function and you don't have a disease or a condition, these chambers can help you. Yeah. Um, but my preference usually is a hard chamber first, yeah. if possible, and then a soft chamber for more long-term maintenance, optimizations, kinds of things. So this but, could potentially you know, be something some of the big companies have in the future, like the big management consulting firms has been. Oh, they're already on. doing it. Yeah, they're already doing it, and in Silicon Valley, where I live, yeah. it's sort of it's a very, very well kept secret, actually, yeah. because I have clients in those worlds that don't want the other companies to know that mm-hmm. they're using it. Yeah, because everybody's looking for an edge, and every company is looking for what that edge is going to be. So, I've been consulting with companies in the Valley and others around the world that are interested in using. Uh, this particular therapy uh, to, for their C-suites or for their executive suites or for some of their high-end uh, executives or employees. And one of the ways it's being used a lot, actually, is in, in people that do a lot of traveling mm-hmm. because uh, jet lag is brutal, as you know. And this is a great jet lag hack, actually, using hyperbaric therapy, among other things. But this is one of the ways that you can really help because, as you likely know, when you're on a, on a plane, You're, you're pressurized to like, I think, 6,000 feet if you're on a Dreamliner and 8,000 feet if you're on a regular commercial airliner. And you're also breathing in exhaust from the, the actual airplane itself a little bit probably too. Anyway, um, all of that means you're basically getting toxic. You're hypoxic, you're at low oxygen levels, and you're also going to be more inflamed. So reoxygenating can be really, really helpful for that. Yeah. So right after you land or like within a day, that would be a good right. session to you. Right after you land, you ground yourself, and then you get yourself into a chamber, which is, uh, if you get into a hard chamber, you're also going to be grounded in those too, 
we all we always make sure that you're grounded in a hard chamber prevent, to prevent things like static electricity and things <laughs> like that. But you know, I think it's also important though, Maz, that that hyperbaric therapy is a fantastic technology and I use it all the time. But it's not a cure-all, right? No. It's not something that I say that everybody should go in no matter what. I really do 100% believe these days that the key is a foundation for all of us in our own health. And then everything else is, is icing on the cake to some degree, hyperbaric therapy being a fantastic accelerator and synergizer. But you have to really work on your foundational health. And that's how I got involved in my, own, in my practice now, which is health optimization medicine with a specialty using hyperbaric therapy as my accelerator and stimulator on top of that foundation. Makes sense. So Scott, when you say health optimization medicine, can you put a few more words on what does that include? Yeah, so HOME for short, H-O-M-E. And it was developed by a fantastic friend, doctor, mentor of mine. Uh, his name is Dr. Ted Achacoso. And Ted is, he's a futurist. I mean, he thinks about the future a lot. And he knew uh, before many of us that where medicine was going was not going to go well. And it hasn't been going well. It's become more specialized. It's become more interventional. It's become more disease focused instead of really focusing on the health of our cells, the health of our immune system, just the health of our our organism, you know, the, this organism that we have. And this is not just, and when I say this organism, I don't just mean me. I mean all the organisms that make up me and make up you and make up all of us. There's this really cool term. It's called holobiont, H-O-L-O-B-I-O-N-T. Uh, have you heard this term before? No. It's a really cool term where we have this, we are made up of all these types of cells. We're made up of human cells, bacterial cells, viral cells, fungal cells inside of us, but also around us. The environment around us becomes part of us. Our near environment, also our far environment when it comes to different types of wavelengths that we're, that we're subject to, uh, vibrations that we're subject, subject to from a sound perspective. I mean, everything is vibration, really. But so all the vibrations and all that energy that's around us is part of this whole system that we have. And the question is how, I think the real goal should be actually, how do you optimize this, you know, this avatar, this, mm. um, this body, this energy, this, all, everything that, that makes us, us, right? And so, and that's consciousness and everything that comes down to more on the cellular level. So what Ted developed was a way to look at the, the body in a very health focused way. So we don't focus on disease, we don't focus on conditions or symptoms, really. Because in the end, all that is important, but what we believe is probably as important or more important is focusing on the health of your cells, the health of your gut, the health of this holobiont around you. And so he created this program called Health Optimization Medicine in Practice that has created um, a, a framework that, that doctors and practitioners like myself can use to help usher their patients into the path of health. And so the first and major pillar of that is called metabolomics or cellular medicine, looking at how the cells are working in real time. Have you heard of metabolomics before, Mass? No, I was thinking uh, mitochondria. It sounds like that's fairly related or? 
It is, yeah. It's a big part of it. So we know about the genome already, right? The genome is our DNA. And the, gene, and the DNA transcribes proteins to make our proteome, it's called. Um, and there's a couple steps along the way, but the, the proteome is the major thing that's next. And then after the proteome, we have our metabolome. The idea is that our DNA is static. It doesn't change, but how it expresses itself changes depending on all those other things around us, our environmental stimuli, um, our toxicity levels, et cetera. And so that's the epigenetics as well, right? Yes, exactly. So that's epigenetics, exactly. So, but what we can measure in real time is your vitamins, your minerals, your toxin levels, your, your circulating levels, amino acids, how well you're digesting your foods from a macronutrient perspective. We can measure all that level, all those levels, and that's called measuring your metabolome. And you can also measure metabolites of various gut uh, microbiota. So your, your viruses, your bacteria, your fungus, you can measure that in your system and you can get a sense of what's actually happening in real time. So that's actually the, the crux or that's the foundation of our practice is that we measure what's happening at the metabolomic level. And when you do that, you can actually get a significant understanding of what's likely happening at the DNA level. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of emphasis on your SNPs and your, you know, your genetics in, in the sense of, do you have MTHFR? Just fell off. Am I back? back? Yeah. Sorry about that. I thought I put myself on, on does not disturb, but I guess not. Um, am I good? Yeah. All good. Okay. So, um, where was I? Uh, talking about, about the focus on snippets and so on. Yeah. So there's a lot of emphasis on the genetics in the sense that um, people think that, you know, the, about SNPs and MTHFR, and that's all really important to some degree. But what's more important is how does that look on the, on the cellular level? And that's how we can really, um, that's, that's what we can really see when we're looking at metabolomics, for example. Mm. So metabolomics is the, is the crux of that. We measure and we <laughs> it's funny in like the biohacking worlds and, and the optimization communities, like everybody's taking tons of supplements. They're doing tons of things to their sleep. They're doing tons of things to help them optimize their brain function. But the key to all of this is to quantify. Mm. And there's a big movement to quantify, as you know, but not on the cellular level. So that's what we're doing. It's saying you should take these supplements because you need them and we can measure it. So that's, that's really what we do. We measure and then we, we, we look at subtle changes and toxicities and deficiencies, and we balance as a result of that. So we start with metabolomics, and then we go to the gut, and we look at gut health and the gut microbiota, looking at uh, various types of bacterial colonies, overgrowth, leaky gut. Uh, also, but not only that, but looking at some very clinically validated understandings of uh, small chain fatty acids and how you're, how how healthy your colon wall is and your colonic cells are doing and, and, and also looking at food sensitivities. So just to and sum up the first... Do you do that with a blood test or a microbiome test or DNA test or something else? So, so we do it with food. Okay. Uh, we do it with, with, I'm sorry, with blood, with yeah. blood testing. Yeah. So the, the crux of our basic program for health optimization medicine is food immune sensitivity testing gut microbiota, my, microbiota testing, and metabolomic testing. Yeah. And we do those three. And then we also look at epigenetic markers. We look at chronobiology, which is circadian rhythms. We look at evolutionary biology, so your ancestry. 
we look at the mitochondria itself in even deeper detail. How do you look uh, at that? So we looked at we look at that a couple different ways. Um, but we one of the ways we looked at is is in metabolomic testing. Um, but we also understand that not everything can be measured, and so um, a lot of things in the mitochondrial frame are not measured yet, but they're getting there. So we talk about um, sunlight, we talk about uh, water, we talk about magnetism in general in, in that category as well. And we also, uh, the, another category we talk about is, is called um, exposomics, which is a category of toxin, the toxins that we are subject to. So this is everything from gasoline fumes to mercury containing fish, mm. etc. So we, we talk about all of that and we quantify as much as we can and create a health plan for our clients that can go alongside any disease plan they may have. So if they have a disease, it doesn't take away or, or doesn't prevent them from doing any of that. This is just a foundational health perspective on top. Yeah, so in my practice, Mass, I work with health optimization medicine as my foundation. And then once that's there, then you can have a lot of fun mm. with the biohacking technologies, even in parallel. But I do feel like it's important to have a full bank of, of money, a full yep. bank of, of cellular health before you start using your credit card uh, without any money in the bank, right? So yep. you want to make sure that your cells are healthy, your gut is healthy before you really start trying to optimize your brain using nootropics because you're just going to deplete yourself over the long term if you're not balanced and you're not well, uh, well supplemented, you know, well augmented. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Get the basics first. Make sure your foundation is good before you start uh, testing other stuff. So what? Well, that's that. That's my usual thing with, and Tim and I, Tim Gray, who you know, yeah. have talked about this in, in detail. Is this you know they're in the biohacking community? It's like what's the new what's the new cutting edge toy mm. that I can try? But forgetting about the basics, you know, Tim yeah. talks about sleep. He talks about hydration. He talks about oxygen and. I think he talks about uh, dental health, I think are, are his four, if I remember correctly. But, and those are really important too. Um, and, and cellular health is, I think, a big part of that. Yeah. And so my focus is on, on cellular health, gut health, um, making sure that you're, you're really creating a program around those that can sustain you over the long term. But yeah. also knowing that we all are human. Yeah. We all want those quick fixes to make us feel better faster. So... Um, I think, you know, I'm, there's a company that I know very well that's making nootropics that make your tongue blue, for example. Yeah. And so, and, and they're affiliated with our nonprofit, actually, Health Optimization Medicine, because we know that there is a need for these types of products to make people feel better faster and have fun in the process. Mm. Um, I don't want to take away any of that. It's important. But the, the key, in my mind, And and the and Ted's and and, the, and my colleagues that I work with, it's it's let's do it in parallel here, right? That's not, you know, let's make sure we have all that all the all that we've invested all that money, we've saved all that money, and now we can use it and know that we're using it effectively and and not depleting ourselves in the process. Yeah, that's super important. Let's get to yeah. uh, the nootropics in a second. I just want to sure. hear so food sensitivity test. Uh, I've mm -hmm. gotten uh, I think E small G big G four. Does that sound right? Food so yeah, IgG4. Yeah. And there's Ig yeah, so IgG4 and IgE. Yeah. So what they do is they they test these antibodies uh, on the on on your cells yeah. basically. And so uh, on your immune cells, on your white blood cells. And so they test for sensitivity. And so there is controversy around this. There's yeah. no doubt about it. 
Um, IgE is is not controversial. IgE, uh, E is an Edward, is um, a direct or a an immediate sensitivity that you have either to foods or environment. And so the most terrible example is like a peanut allergy, where you have eat a peanut and you you know you 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 have anaphylactic shock, you swell up, your blood pressure drops, and you can die. Yeah. You need an epinephrine shot to potentially prevent your heart from stopping. Okay, yeah. so that's IgE. IgG4 is more of a low-grade indolent or chronic inflammatory process that you may not even know that, that you're having ongoing yeah. because it doesn't happen to have usually, although sometimes it does, but it doesn't usually have overt symptoms. So you have a food and then maybe three days later, you'll have more fatigue, but you don't put two and two together because you're having that food all the time. A common example here is gluten you know, from wheat. Yep. Another common example is eggs. Uh, another I common example eggs. is dairy. So I had eggs, I had bananas, and I had mm. ginger, which was, I eat. Interesting. I used to eat a lot of ginger. So I had my green morning smoothie every single day with a big piece of ginger. So um, I might have gotten too much of it. Well, so the question really becomes, uh, when you took those things out, Mass, how did you feel? So I only got the test results, I think, four weeks ago. So okay. I, I haven't felt much of a difference yet, but um, okay, but uh, yeah. that's actually quite common. Yeah. So, so what what will often happen is that people don't realize that they feel better mm. because it's more of a like it doesn't happen immediately for most people that all of a sudden they're like I feel fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's some people do, um, but most people are more like oh, I'm not sure I feel better. I don't know if I feel wor- I don't feel worse. Um, but then after about three months of avoiding that particular food. And then reintroducing it, they the have a symptom yeah. that they had before they stopped eating the food. So, for example, my own story is that I, like a lot of people, didn't think I was sensitive to gluten, you know, many years ago. I'm like, you know, everybody's doing this gluten-free thing. Okay, I'll do it. You know, it's, I was getting into integrative medicine, et cetera. So I did it, but I didn't feel any different. I did it for three months, and I was like, you know, I don't feel any different. I'm just going to go back to it. And all of a sudden, I started clearing my throat all the time again. Like I'd wake up in the morning and I would be clearing my throat. I'm like, oh, wait a second. I don't do that anymore, do I? I don't clear my throat all the time anymore. So this so low-grade inflammation that I, I had. I clear my throat quite a lot. So that could be same as that. Well, yeah, you don't know until you stop it for three months and see whatever these foods that you're sensitive to are. Yeah. So that's, that's what I often have to impress upon people. And I tell my story. I'm like, I didn't think I was sensitive to it even when I was off of it. Um, yeah. I didn't feel any better. But then when I went back on it, that, that's when I saw the difference. So th- that's the key. And then the other thing about food sensitivities is that if you heal up your gut and you optimize your gut function, many sensitivities will go away. Mm. And you can go back to eating these foods over the long term. Some won't, um, but most of them will to some degree. So the key is to heal up your gut. Uh, and a big portion of that is to make sure you're, t- you're avoiding foods that you're sensitive to so that your gut has time to heal itself. So over the long term, hopefully you can reintroduce many of those foods and not have to avoid them over the long term. Yeah, that's also what my doctor explained. That give it a break for like nine, twelve. I months like your at doctor. Least. Yeah, so he's also a, a functional doctor. So that I have in cool. Denmark we have free healthcare, but uh, yes. I have to pay to go to this guy because the system don't still recognize the blood test and so on. So he also do my blood work, tell me what my different. Um, measures are and then i get supplements according to that so i don't fill my body with a lot of supplements that i don't really need that's great 
So um, that's that great. Yeah. But that's, I often yeah, get, and that's really where the way, the way to do it. Yeah. I often get the question by folks like, so can you feel it? And I think it's just as you explained, a lot of things takes a while. So it's, it's slow, yes. slowly like getting better and better. And you don't recognize how you felt three months ago. And I think it's the right. same. I heard with, I think, is it fish oil or something else for, um, for psoriasis that the Leo Pharma did some studies on that you need to take it for three months consistently and then mm -hmm. they know you get improvements. And that's a pharma company that lives off selling a lot of drugs. So they figured that yeah. out and they're actually trying to help people do it, but most people just don't have the patience to actually do it because they don't feel that immediate change. That's the deal. And so I think when I talk about what we do in health optimization medicine, I'm very clear that we are not looking for short-term benefits, but for a long-term sustainable health plan for them. And, but I, I'm also very aware that at the same time, it, that's not as easy as said as done, right? It's easier said than done is yeah. the better way to say it. So it's also important to give people, and I do this myself, I do daily practices. I have daily recommendations for people to start having them feel better faster. Um, and that could be anything from you know, meditation and from mindfulness and, or from sauna to cold thermogenesis to all these things that are more on the, on the, on the sort of the optimization biohacking framework. Yep. So, uh, and a lot of the work that we do is, is, is bringing those concepts together. The, the, the hard work is to replenish your cells, replenish your gut, optimize your cells, optimize your gut, optimize your diet. It's not easy to do, and it takes a long time. Um, but what's also important for, for you are these other practices that you can do, because, you know, we all, we create our own manifestations, depending on how our energy is, right? In the sense that um, we also have to work on our own, uh, our own psychology, our own, our own practices that allow us a better perspective on the world. And so this is not exactly what health optimization is all about, health optimization medicine, that is. Mm. But it's a big point, a big part of that deeper dive into your own health, where we, we, we hope to lead you. I hope to lead my clients, is that you know, we start off with the easy stuff. In some ways, you take some pills, you change your diet a little bit, um, but then you really do the deep work, which mm. is, um, you know, the optimization work, you know, at the core of that, of, of the onion, like I like to say, in the sense, the layers that we have of us, that in the, in essence, you know, we're all inside the same, right? We're all made of the same stuff and we, but it's important that we, we put it in perspective with this whole obiant around us. Yeah. But you start off with blood work, you know, urine, stool, yeah. <laughs> the, the easier stuff to some degree. Definitely. And then nootropics, some a uh, few words about that. Well, I think they're fantastic, and but I, I I think that it's also important to know you know getting them from good sources. Of and course, what is um, nootropics? And, ah, so a nootropic, it, it means a lot of things. Uh, to classically, it's a substance that you ingest that enhances your brain function. Mm. Um, so cognitive enhancers that are not. You know, that are not pills or not necessarily called nootropics, although some people use them. I mean, hyperbaric therapy is a nootropic in that capacity. We're giving more oxygen as a drug. We're enhancing brain function. Um, what about coffee? Feedback. So is coffee so like... Co yeah. yeah, absolutely. Coffee is a nootropic. It's a stimulant. Stimulants in general are nootropics. So nicotine is a nootropic. Lion's um, mane. Nicotine itself. What's that? Lion's mane as well. Lion's mane, yeah, lion's mane is definitely a nootropic. It's a cognitive enhancer. Um, and, you know, you have supplements out there that are made of a ton of different you know, things like qualia and others that are nootropics. Um, you, uh, but, you know, the most, the classic one and the most tried and true is probably nicotine because 
it's been around the, lo- lo- the longest, and it is relatively safe if it's if it's divorced from tobacco and tobacco-containing products. Mm. Um, nicotine is addictive, but it's not nearly as addictive as if it's smoked. Number one, um, and especially if it's if it's used with tobacco, other uh, additional compounds in tobacco. So. I'm not a big fan of anybody smoking or vaping anything, by the way. Mm. You know, vaping has become pretty popular, even the biohacking community. And I'm entirely against it because it's still heating things to very high temperatures and often associated with, with probably carcinogenic uh, materials as well. And so especially like the e-cigarettes and stuff like that are terrible. But even just vaping, people are vaping nicotine or vaping CBD. I don't recommend it because... You know, again, you're heating something to a very high level. And also, I don't usually recommend it because it can be more addicting because you get a very quick hit of nicotine or whatever when you're vaping it. And which reminds me also to say this, as I forgot to say in the beginning, Mass, that I, you know, this, none of the things that I say today should be construed as medical advice for any specific individual listening. Um, it's really important to look at all the evidence out there. And you, you can listen to this, obviously. And then talk to your doctor or whom you trust to help you make your own healthcare decisions uh, with it. So when I when I say I don't recommend this, 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 it's not for you particularly, mm. whoever's listening. This is just a blanket recommendation. Um, but in general, I think um, nicotine is is a great and it's a tried and true nootropic. Caffeine is great, um, and then uh, the company that we're affiliated with. Um, uh, so Health Optimization Medicine, I should mention, is a nonprofit company that's creating educational coursework for doctors and practitioners to learn how to practice what I've been describing mm. as health optimization medicine with Dr. Ted and the pillars, et cetera. My practice is a for-profit practice that's used that knowledge and has now created my own client base and my own, uh, my own, uh, my own brick and mortar, but mostly virtual in the San Francisco area. Now we have a, there is a uh, a for-profit company that we're affiliated with that Dr. Ted has started that is creating nootropics uh, specifically uh, for a lot of different reasons, actually. Um, but the one, the first one is a nootropic called blue canatine. And blue canatine is blue because of another nootropic in there called methylene blue, which also happens to turn your tongue blue, I think, as you had some experience with, Mass. Yes, I saw uh, Tim Gray. At uh, one of the meetups yeah. in uh, in London, looking very blue. Yeah, so methylene blue is actually, it's been around forever. It's one of the first synthetic drugs that was registered with uh, the FDA here in the United States back in like the 1880s. And its uses have been myriad, many over the years. It has antibacterial properties, antifungal properties. Um, it also has antiparasitic properties. It was used uh, to treat malaria back in World War II. World War One, even actually, um, and one of the side effects of methylene blue is that it turns your tongue blue if you have it in your mouth. But it also turns your urine blue. So they knew it was working if it turned your urine blue, yep. and it was actually added to uh, psychotropic or psych- medications for psychosis back in the early 1900s to, to make sure people were using the medicine, using the other medicine, not the methylene blue. Yep. They tagged it with methylene blue to, to make sure people were actually being compliant. When they realized that methylene blue also had neurotropic or had cognitive effects, helping with depression as well, interestingly enough. So it's got a fantastic history. And it's also been used for carbon monoxide poisoning because what happens at the cellular level is actually it helps donate electrons 
to the electron transport chain in the mitochondria, helping make energy. Um, so it's a mitochondrial energy enhancer, especially in the brain mm -hmm. and, and the heart, where there, where there are the most mitochondria. So you pair my, uh, methylene blue with caffeine and nicotine, and then you add, uh, which is the new and the latest and the greatest, CBD, which CBD is the non-psychoactive active component of the, the cannabis plant. We're, you're using a hemp-derived formula here, so not from the THC-containing plant. But that is a fantastic anxiety reducer. It's a fantastic um, just uh, anti-inflammatory as well. And so what it does is it, it prevents a significant, you know, when you use stimulants like caffeine or nicotine, it can give you this sharp rise, you know, like jitteriness kind of. What methylene, uh, sorry, what CBD tends to do is even that whole process out. So it's this sort of smooth ramp up. And so I've been privileged to be a tester of it mm -hmm. because I'm affiliated with the company um, through the nonprofit. And so um, I've gotten to see this firsthand. It's, it's, you focus like fantastically for like three or four hours. And the ramp up is between 30, 15 to 30 minutes, depending on how fast you metabolize. And so you know, your, your tongue turns blue, which we, which they think is a great marketing tool, you know, mm. um, you know, in the sense that, in the sense that, you know, are you part of the club? Are, you know, blue is the new smart as the, uh, transcriptions is the name of the brand, by the way. Um, blue canatine is the name of the, of the, of the actual trochee itself, the actual product. Uh, so blue canatine is a product and the name of the company is called transcriptions. Tro comes from the word trochee, which is the type of delivery mechanism that we're using, which is basically an edible. It's a dissolving lozenge that stays in your mouth and doesn't move. Mm. Dissolves, turns your tongue blue, and uh, makes you smart, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fully legal. So it depends on the, the, the country. It, it depends on the country, yeah. I mean, so the answer is yes, but it depends on the country exactly how it needs to be sold. And so we're, we're working, I, I know that they're working out a lot of the details of that. Um, but all the ingredients themselves are legal, yes. Yeah. Okay. So you can buy it in the U.S. Um, they're still working on developing it, um, and then, and actually, when it'll be for sale, um, they're hoping, I think, by by hopefully by next month that they're hoping for. So. Okay. Interesting. So right but now I, it's yeah, in the testing yeah. phase. For, testing phase. Yeah. So yeah. that's why Tim had some. Yeah. Um, that's why others in the influencer communities have had them that they also are able to, to try them and get some experience and, and take some pictures of their tongue turning blue as well. Interesting. I'll have it's fine. It's fine. It but again, yeah, it's like a lot of nootropics, right? In the sense that there, there is a, a time and a place for them, right? And I don't recommend you know, nootropics in general unless you're having a foundation that you're working on as well. Otherwise, you're going to deplete all these neurochemicals you know, when you're using this stuff. And then you're going to have Maybe not immediately, but in the long term, you may have some side effects, fatigue or you know, gut problems or whatever, because your immune system is going to get deregulated and et cetera. So um, it's important that you don't just do these things without you know, being healthy first. And that's what they've noticed from testing is that people that are healthy already that are using these, this particular nootropic, blue canatine, um, that's been my experience. And also with even other nootropics, um, if you're already healthy or doing pretty well, It's going to make you feel better. But if you're not doing well already, it's not going to really help you that much. It can make you feel worse. I mean, not to the point where, you know, it's going to be dangerous, but to the point where you won't get the same effect, the same, the same benefit from it.
Makes sense. That's a, a really good advice to take away as well. Scott? Yeah, nothing in a silo is what I often say. Yeah. Always looking at the bigger picture here. And I think that's one thing that you see often when you talk to people in integrated medicine, health optimization, health optimization medicine or the biohacking communities, really, you have to look at the whole picture. You can't just say like microbiome. You need to see it in the, in the whole picture of the full body. Yeah, and you have to be your own advocate within that. Um, that's for sure because, um, you know, I'm not saying doctors have all the answers. They don't. No. Um, that is for sure. And I, I think it's a fantastic time because patients and clients and just, you know, obviously people are more empowered to create their N of one, their personal health journey. Yeah. But my recommendation always for everyone is just to do it in a methodical way and not get crazy by stacking 10 things because you know they all do the same thing and it's just going to synergize. It doesn't always work that way. No. <laughs> I promise you. So methodically is the key. Yeah. Not just getting crazy with 10 things at once. No. That's that's my recommendation. And typically when I talk in the biohacking community, I'm like one thing at a time, if not one thing, just a couple of things and be methodical about it. Yeah. Before we round off the last couple of minutes, uh, super quick questions. Do you have any routines that you do? Yeah, uh, absolutely, I do. So uh, my favorite biohacking technology is my infrared sauna. Yeah. Um, I use it almost every night. Which one? And uh, I don't know if you know, uh, Mass, but I have four kids. Yeah. And so it's, I don't have a very big house, so it's my own room. Yeah. My sauna is my is my sole location. I meditate in there. Um, sometimes I'll watch movies too, but I, I meditate in there a lot. I read, I do my work, etc. Um, so I have a I have a sunlight and sauna. Um, there's a lot of good saunas out there. Um, sunlight sunlight is a good kind of a good sauna. I'm considering um, to buy one myself. That's why I'm asking. Oh yeah, there's clear light and and there's other different types of saunas depending on what you're interested in. Yeah. I just have a far infrared, but there's also ones that have you know, broad spectrum as well with near infrared light. Um, the key with those is that if you're going to get one with near infrared, you have to make sure you're super close to the sauna or to where those lights are mm. because near infrared light does not penetrate from far distances. So some of these saunas that are coming out have near infrared light, but they're like all the way on the other end of the, you know, and it's not, you need to be super close to it. Yeah. That's really important for near infrared. Um, so that's a, a very regular practice. So um, I try to met 30 minutes or... Uh, usually in the evenings. Usually okay. in the evenings, I do sauna. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, I have four kids, so my schedule yeah. is not as regimented as others. Oh. But in general, I like I like to meditate for at least ten to twenty minutes, three times a day. Um, and then I, I I've also created routines around my my phone and my access to to technology, so I don't get any notifications for anything. Um, it's on me to check my phone, and I track my screen time and things like that. Um, I use the Aura Ring for for sleep and I, and I try to optimize that. Um, those are the main things. And then activity wise, um, you know, always looking at, uh, movements and, uh, flexibility and then, and, and, uh, adding in high intensity interval training. Uh, I, I, I aim for once to once to twice a week at this point. So those would be the main ones, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And putting my phone away, um, and having phone holidays and, and getting out in nature and, uh, Getting some sunlight, you know. Sounds good. The, I'm gonna try and do the phone holiday as well. Take a few days off, one of the coming days. Yeah, even if it's just one day off, or yeah. even if it's just five hours, yeah. or even if it's just a two-hour break that you schedule in your day, and you just shut it off for two hours. I mean, 
anything is better. Um, we have a little bit of phone anxiety for a little while once we turn off the phone, but usually within an hour or two, you know, that goes away. Yeah. So phone holidays, I truly appreciate them, although I don't like them initially sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, creativity goes up exponentially, I promise. Yeah. Uh, even for people who think that we need access to our phones to Google everything, we don't. I no. promise. Scott, where can people find out more about you and how can they uh, get involved with working with you? Yeah, thanks for asking. And again, thanks for having me, Mass. I think um, one of the main places to find me would be on Instagram, at Dr. Scott Scherr. My name, D-R-S-C-O-T-T-S-H-E-R-R. I do a lot of work there and I'm doing more as I do more Instagram as everybody else is these days. That's the main place you can find information about me, probably, that kind of marries all these concepts that we've been discussing today. Um, there's the nonprofit Health Optimization Medicine, and that's homehope.org, H-O-M-E-H-O-P-E.org. And that's where our educational uh, company is housed and where our platform is and where you can actually learn how to practice this yourself. My practice is home-sf.co. And that's based out of San Francisco, and that's where I see clients, yeah. uh, mostly in California, but across the world as well. And then, if so you have interested, online consultations with you from around the world. Yeah, 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 from around the world. Yeah, or in California. Yeah, um, there's nuances there, but we can discuss it yeah. uh, when I, if anybody has interest. I, I'm happy to help in any way I can. And the the last place would be if you're interested in hyperbaric medicine. Um, I have a website there. It's called Integrative hbot.com so integrative hbot as the letters hbot.com yep. and so multiple places but again easiest place is probably at dr scott sure on instagram and we can we can make it work from there if you guys have questions or, or comments and i'm happy to help if i can awesome i'll add that in the show notes as well so before rounding off any uh, final advice ah These are always loaded questions, Mass. I, I, my, my final advice would be to uh, have fun, yeah. enjoy life, and, and learn a lot in the process. And uh, especially enjoy your failures because that's where you do learn the most. And I wouldn't be here today speaking to you if I hadn't failed multiple times in the attempt to create Uh, what I believed was the way forward in in in, in health, in, in my own health journey, and in others. Yeah. And it and I think the other piece of it I would say is it always starts with you. You know, you can't help others unless you're helping yourself, and you can't create change in the world unless you are creating change in yourself and becoming uh, the best person you can be, surrendering to your true self, and always putting it in that perspective. Um, So I think that that's the best I can do for you today. That's a super ending. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed this talk. My pleasure. Okay, have a fantastic day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.